Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk and Happy New Year to everyone. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. And again, I think as Erica says, Happy New Year. Happy New Year indeed, (laughs) church nerds. (laughs) Because we are now in the season of Advent and Advent is the church's new year. It's when the liturgical calendar resets, when the church seasons reset. This is the new year. And so as we have done in the past couple of years, we have a special series just for Advent that is four weeks. And so that is what we are starting today. We are going to talk about the case for Advent. What is it? Why do we have it? Um, What are these candles and little calendars full of chocolate? Why do we sing the hymns that we sing? What is this thing that we do and why do we think it's the new year? So in particular, what are we going to start with today, Steve? Well, I I, I think it's helpful the way you you frame that. There's a lot of different rabbit trails we could go down in Mm -hmm. what what Advent is. And I I think it's probably worth us saying too that like that, like like you said this is how, how do we talk about what what's the case for doing this when church is weird enough already i mean like in 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 the rest of the world you know it it, it there's a lot of things that that church people do that look weird and then liturgically minded folks in various ways make it even weirder by saying okay, we're going to have a whole season that isn't Christmas, but is getting ready for Christmas. Um, and that it's, it's, it's a weird tension. Cause on the one hand, we're leading into Christmas is coming. And on the other hand, we're fighting against the, you know, commercial consumer culture that started the pre-Christmas season back on the day after Halloween. And the, the, the Christian community does this weird thing of we're going to measure time differently and, I mean, maybe this is a place for us just to start with what, what, what is this all about and why, why make the particular fuss that some Christians do of having this separate time, this separate season? Why don't we either just say, if we want to have a long season of Christmas, we'll start singing Christmas songs in December 1st, or um, if we want to delay, like, why, why do we do this thing? Why, why this suspended tension of a season called Advent at all? I think one of the things that is the most confusing for Christians who are not professional religious people (laughs) like ourselves is that the fact that this month, December is not, well, I guess this year is early, so it's still November, but like the four weeks leading up to Christmas isn't Christmas. Right. Right. Right, So like, we're not singing Christmas songs are, you know, all of the, fancy decorations like banners and the paraments on the altar and the things that the pastors wear are not red and green um right right. they're blue or purple um the internship site that i served when i was in seminary when i was a student pastor was um my supervisor's second church and when he arrived there 30 years before i arrived for internship all of their advent paraments and banners were red and green wow and so they had to like he had to like start like a whole big campaign (laughs) that whole year of like okay advent is 
this season, these four weeks before Christmas, where we are preparing for the coming of Christ, both remembering that coming of the infant Jesus, you know, Christmas, as well as though holding on to that promise of Jesus's second coming, his coming again, and what that means for us as Christians, that we are expecting Jesus again. Um, And why? Because like, I think that especially as Christians in the 21st century in America, we're very uncomfortable with that idea, right? Mm -hmm. That that Jesus is going to come again. Like that has a whole host of like images in our brains that we're just like, I'm really uncomfortable with that. Is that going to be like left behind? Is that going to be like, what is that? Right. Right. Uh, and, and, and why is it good news that, you know, if, if the things in a very disaster movie I've seen make it sound like the end of you know, that it's end of the world means scary instead of this is somehow good news. Yeah, that we we it's almost like the 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 stuff we need to wrap our brains around is so is so uh, multifaceted and complex. We need more than just one sermon, more than one day, more than one time. And part of the wisdom of our ancestors in the faith is to say, you know what? Let's unpack those over several times and let's look at different facets because you're dealing with. Yeah, what does it mean that Jesus came 2000 years ago? How do we get in that headspace and soul space? And what does it mean that our hope is not just that he came a long time ago, but that there's this coming again and new creation that we're waiting for and that somehow those overlap. I mean, those are those are heavy ideas. And mm-hmm. I think that by itself is is for me a, an important piece of why why to make the case for having this season that has a different feel than just we got uh, uh, four weeks to get extra Christmas singing in. Like, no, there's uh, there's things that you need to sort of wrap your brain around to understand why it's good news when the child is born. You know that that the same way that the the period of of months that a family goes through in pregnancy is different than when the baby finally arrives. Right there, there's there's a lot that change, and there's some things. There's a dramatic, you know, changing of perspective of what things matter and what things we just don't care about right now or what things are, you know, like there's a clarifying in a season like that. And maybe in a similar way, Advent has that ability to say, while there's a lot of other background noise that often has to do with, did you buy enough stuff to prove to the people that you love that you love them? Because that's how our <laughs> culture talks about Christmas. Um, like there's a clarifying what does matter and what things what things will will I still hold on to when everything else gets shaken in that coming again of Jesus? Um, and why is it good news that this baby was born 2000 years ago? That That to me by itself just feels like that's enough stuff to wade through that's going to take more than just the let's let's cram all that into a Christmas Eve sermon. It needs a season on its own. As well as because you're dealing with some of the heavy stuff before that Christmas Eve sermon. Yeah. You don't have to have that heavy stuff in the Christmas Eve sermon. Right. You know, like you can have more time to sing Silent Night and <laughs> go tell it on the mountain. Uh, it doesn't have to be just all like, Hey, remember Mark 13 and how, <laughs> remember how Jesus, Jesus said that everything to... is going to come to an end. Yeah. 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 Uh, we're going to talk about that for Christmas Eve. Right. Merry right, Christmas. Right. <laughs> oh, we can talk about that in Advent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We can talk about that before Christmas. Yeah. I think too, it's helpful. I mean, when, when, when Christians come on the scene, you know, we we historically got to skip out on the literal centuries of waiting that the ancient people of Israel, you know, had to do in waiting for the promised Savior. And of course, even when when 
the Christ arrives, he's not like what anybody's expecting. So like, there's a lot of surprise going around, but I think, I think it's important for us to have at least some sense of the, the long flow of history here, that it's not just like Jesus starts the story, but man, there is centuries. There's, you know, easily a thousand years or more of leading up to the arrival of this person and to get that sense of the, the slow work of God and the way there's a lot of generations hoping for something for all things to be put right so that we don't, we don't just sort of jump into Christmas going, yeah, you know, taking Jesus for granted almost like, yeah, of course we got Jesus. No, we, we need to have the time to appreciate like wh- why is, why is it that so many people pin their hopes on one day Messiah would come. And of course, you know, later on Christianity in, in the, the next other great seasonal arc of the church's year, when we get to Lent and Holy Week and Easter, we get to talking about how the way Jesus reigns as Messiah is not what anybody was expecting, but like the, the wait for Messiah itself takes centuries of time. And while Advent's only, you know, a matter of weeks by comparison, it at least helps us get that sense of some things are worth waiting for. And it's worth living in that tension that happens in waiting times. I think too, <clears throat> and this gets at, I, I think we may have given a nod to this in a previous year when we talked about uh, hymns in this season. But one of the things I think is helpful about this season, about taking time uh, and marking it differently as, as intentional waiting time is that we aren't good at waiting. And as a culture, mm-hmm. we would like to skip through waiting as quickly as possible. And we treat waiting like it's not doing anything rather than that it's possible to be preparing and active or sort of having your tools ready. Or how, how do you, you know, if, if it's like the pregnancy, how do you prepare for the arrival of a baby? We get the room ready. We, you know, we make get our bags packed for the trip to the hospital, you know, whatever. Um, but that's an active waiting rather than sitting on your hands, twiddling your thumbs. And I'm reminded uh, I think we were talking about that hymn once um, that sometimes gets translated "All Earth is Hopeful" or "All Earth is Waiting." Mm-hmm. That it's the, mm-hmm. in the Spanish "Toda la Tierra," and the, in Spanish the same verb does double duty to wait and to hope. And I've always loved that and wish that English could do that. Um, but that that to me says something that this season is not about waiting in the sense of we're, we got nothing to do, but it's not Christmas yet. So, find, you know, twiddle your thumbs and stop being bored. But that it's an intention. It's about the practice of how to hope. And honestly, I'm not sure that we're, as a culture, are great at hoping well. We're, we're you know, great at wishing and we're great at being bored and needing distraction. But we're not great at practicing hope. And I think we're, in general, we're just not good at waiting yeah. mm-hmm. for anything. Like, right? I think that's why secular Christmas seems to feel like it starts earlier and earlier every year yeah um that you know when I was a kid it was you waited until after Thanksgiving (laughs) um and maybe I just wasn't aware of stores and radio stations starting to play Christmas music yeah um but like now as an adult it's like oh no you go into any store and Christmas is just all over as soon as Halloween is done and Mm -hmm. in some stores like Walmart you'll go in at the end of October and there in the aisle right next to Halloween is Christmas. And yep. it's like, wow, that's so early. Like we're not good at waiting. Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I know I don't want to be grinchy in this regard. Um, but I think like 
I hear from time to time people will make that complaint about pop culture about man we just had Halloween and the kids just finished you know putting off their their Halloween costumes and already the wider culture is playing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You and Christmas music in the in the Walmart and Christmas decorations and I hear people complain like I, you know, I had bar- I barely have time to process that it's that season and I think that's in in a sense Advent is the church's answer it's you're right. We aren't ready mm-hmm. to jump right into that. Let's take the time to think about the thing that we are preparing for and why it's worth celebrating rather than just leap into, okay, you're done buying these decorations. Now buy different decorations with a different color scheme. And I guess I even think that, that you know, the, the anecdote you shared about, about your internship congregation and the, what can feel like a fraught battle over, you know, liturgical minutiae about what colors you use, there, there's something valuable about saying this is a separate time and letting it have mm-hmm. that space. So, you know, while somebody else listening in who doesn't speak church might go, who cares what color your pyramids are, or your banners or whatever. And, I, you know, I, I get that. I think there's a helpful case to be made to say we, we need to be able to take time and visually, as well as, you know, uh, in, in the, the, the music and the tone, there's, there's something that almost needs like a, a palate cleanser, like uh, we don't move from one thing right to the next. There needs to be this space. And even with a different color scheme, it's, it helps to visually communicate. We're not at Christmas yet. We're not there yet. Let's get ourselves prepared for what's this all about so that when it comes, we know why it's good news. And so... Uh, talking about color scheme for, you know, the pyramids and the stoles and like all of the banners, all of those things, not all Christians will agree on what color that is for, for Advent. Um, Some traditions will do purple, you know, which is the same as Lent and Mm -hmm. it helps tie in that penitential Mm -hmm. somber feel of Advent. Um, But then also other traditions have moved to blue Mm-hmm. To kind of symbolize that, no, this isn't exactly like Lent. It's similar to Lent. It has a similar feel, but there's a lot more hope. Mm-hmm. And so like they've now like they've now transitioned to blue so that it's not the same as Lent. Yeah. And I have always heard that purple always sort of has a certain historical association with royalty and that sort of at the Lent and Holy Week season, it's that sort of Jesus gets you know, lynched as king of the Jews. And there's that sort of mockery as, you know, him being dressed up. So the purple is there and that Advent is sort of the birth of the king had that purple association. And yeah, I don't know exactly who decides what colors mean, but I've often all heard that saying that blue has that sense of hope, almost like the way the sky first starts to lighten when the sun's starting to come up and you first see blue rather than sort of the, the deep black of, of the middle of the mm-hmm. night. And that there's that promise, there's that recurring imagery throughout the prophets about the new day dawning, or even like in the, the early songs in the beginning of, um, of Luke's musical, you know, there's Zechariah saying about the, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. So there's that imagery of, of something new coming that, that is hopeful. So it's not like there's some magic book somewhere that tells us what color means what, and it can only ever mean what, but it's, it's a, a way of bringing out what themes are that helps focus our, our minds in a sense, you know? I, I think I'm I'm grateful that we can have a church nerdy conversation about the different colors and also have that flexibility of, yep, different traditions are going to treat this differently, even down to the colors. And as someone who serves two congregations on a Sunday, one congregation is used to having blue pyramids but purple candles on their advent wreath and the other congregation is used to having blue pyramids and blue candles and nobody knows what to do with the pink one um and uh, there's just this okay 
this is not going to be something that one day in glory we're going to get demerits on our permanent record because we you know put the wrong candle in the wrong place but to to treat these more like these are these are ways to help us to be in the right frame of mind not something that god needs and i think that's a helpful Mm -hmm. beginning to all this conversation god does not need us to keep time this way we we've found and you know this is not just us modern christians but for centuries maybe in some cases more than a thousand years christians have found sometimes it's helpful to use certain tools as ways to put us in a certain frame of mind and as long as we've got that clarity this is about our need not that God needs these things to happen. There can be good news and all the fun, curious church nerdy details of candles and colors and hymns and chants and all that kind of stuff, rather than, oh my goodness, more drudgery. And if I do it wrong, God will zap me. So I think one of the favorite things that I like about Advent is hearing the stories that are associated with Advent. Okay. Um, like this is the time of year that we often like, especially those who uh, follow the lectionary. This is the time of year that we talk about John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. It's when we get to hear um, Mary's song, the Magnificat, um, which is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's those te- it's uh, we hear about Joseph and his like resistance to marrying Mary, who is suddenly pregnant by not him, um, but then getting dreaming of the angel and the angel like talking him into like saying, hey, it's okay. You know, this child is the son of the most high. This child is going to change things. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's those stories that we get to hear during Advent. And I think that they're really beautiful stories and that when we are in a rush to get to Christmas, we miss out on those stories. Yeah. And I, I, I'm so glad you lifted that up too, because we, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a old school traditionalist when it comes to Christmas Eve that, yep, that's when we're going to hear the Luke two story about a manger and shepherds and all that, but that there's a whole lot of, and I, I don't want to say character development, like these are fictional characters in a novel, but in those stories, you get a sense of, what it's like to be Mary and wrestling, you know, all that pondering in her heart that Luke keeps saying she's doing like, yeah, what's going through her mind? All the things that lead up to that, or what's going on in Joseph's mind, or why is everybody all excited about this? Like the, again, the, the, there's the time for the, the, the narrative tension to build that gets everything into place so that the Christmas Eve story isn't just a story of bad timing when there's no room available, but there's a lot of pieces that, that make that story have a certain meaning to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I will fully admit that I am a lectionary preacher because I don't trust that I'm always going to be creative enough to stitch together like good stories for mm-hmm. my preaching. Um, Erica, I know that you are not a lectionary preacher. I'm not. So how do how do you decide every year what you're going to focus on for Advent? And what does so- Advent feel like to you? Um. So in a lot of ways in my denomination, at least in the churches I have been a part of or that I have served, Advent tends to be a pre-Christmas, like, okay. you know, a, or an extended Christmas, if you want. Um, so the sermons, I, I tend not to go with, you know, the end time, second coming stuff, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I don't completely understand. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, right? So, yeah, it's just, it's a little frightening for me to try to, 
I always say like one of these days I'm going to do the lectionary for Advent and I, seven years, I haven't done it. So, <laughs> um, but I do try to at least have true Advent hymns as part of worship. Um, we don't have enough good ones in our Methodist hymnal to do like all three hymns for all four weeks to be true Advent hymns, but I always try to throw at least one in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in the past, I, I did a sermon series um, at both my churches on Elizabeth, it went Zachariah, Elizabeth, um, oh, I feel like they're, I'm missing somebody, but I did like Zachariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, like Mary became Christmas Eve, like kind of leading up to that, that yeah. story, that character mm-hmm. development that you mentioned earlier, Steve. Um, this year I'm doing a series based off of a book that a friend wrote called Underdogs and Outsiders. It's looking at the women from Jesus's genealogy in Matthew 1. So we're going to look at Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba hmm. and then get to Mary for Christmas Eve, um, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, a couple of years ago, I did one um, in 2018. I did one on different hymns and like the stories behind the hymns. Mm-hmm. And so there I got to bring in like Total La Tierra and some other um, got to tell my congregation that joy to the world is not a Christmas hymn. <laughs> it's an Advent hymn um, because it talks about the second coming of Christ, not the first coming of Christ. So, um, so that's, tr- you know, I try to make it not extended Christmas, you know, um, but, you know, that's just kind of what my churches are used to because a lot of Methodists don't tend to be lectionary preachers. Sure. And, and- and I think a lot of just preachers in general will either focus more on focusing on the coming of baby Jesus or the coming of the second coming of mm-hmm. Jesus. Because I know I have a tendency to want to be the person who focuses on baby Jesus. Like in my head, that's what Advent is, is we are preparing for Christmas. We're preparing for baby Jesus. And then every year when I read the lectionary text, I'm surprised by all of the second coming stuff. And I'm like, what is this? This is supposed to be Advent. Where's Christmas? And then it's like, oh yeah, this is this is Advent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm with you, Erica. Like preparing for baby Jesus is my, folks, is my jam. And my folks don't get that Christmas is 12 days and it starts on Christmas Day. Yeah. So like, you know, to and usually, I mean, you get at least one good Sunday in there, maybe two, depending on when yeah. Christmas lands during the week. Um, for me, that usually ends up being epiphany and baptism of the Lord. And right, then I'm taking right, right. vacation. <laughs> like, so, um, they, they just don't get that because they just haven't been taught that. Um, because Methodists, like I said, are not, I have a lot of colleagues that do the lectionary. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of colleagues that do the lectionary, but that's not something I necessarily remember sure. growing up with. Sure. And I think too, it's, I don't, I don't want, I don't want this to sound like let's pile on, on Methodists or other traditions, but like we're fighting against a wider culture that is, is mm-hmm. ready to move on to the next season. It can make money. And that's why Christmas starts the day after Halloween in you know department stores, because that's the next time they can start making money on the next thing. And so in the wider culture, the day after Christmas day, you know, December 26th, that's all the Christmas stuff goes on clearance and they're moving on to Valentine's or, you know, whatever. And again, for me, there's something really refreshing and countercultural about the church's deliberateness in sometimes being ahead of the curve, sometimes being slower and longer and drawing things out. 
and being willing to be a little intentionally out of step, I, I think is good for our souls to say, if we're, if we can handle that and be slow on some things or seem like we're ahead of the curve mm-hmm. on other things, it helps us have better discernment. You know, when it comes to other stuff in, in, in life, there's going to be times where Christians, I think are supposed to be out of step with whatever is popular or whatever the, the other trends or currents are. And we've got to be okay with that. You're like, okay, yeah, then there's a reason for why we're out of step. And I, I, to me, that feels like one of the things that's best for my soul and spirituality is that intentional playing with time. And, and I think, I think it's really just, I, the Christian church has to be comfortable divorcing religious Christmas from secular Christmas, yeah. right? That religious Christmas is 12 days starting with Christmas day. And secular Christmas is going to say the 25 days of Christmas starting December 1st. Right. And right. like, that's, I think we're just going to have to get used to that and that that's not going to change. Like we're not going to convince Hallmark and ABC family to not start their Christmas movie marathons until Christmas day. Like, no, they're going to start it as soon as they think they're going to be able to get the viewers. And that's just how it's going to be. Wouldn't it be hilarious if the Hallmark channel had a four week season of Advent movies? (laughs) I might actually watch those people, Uh, people fasting and talking about penitence. No. And yet they fall in love with each other anyway. Right, right, no, right. No, no, no. People no, who no. fast and people who don't fast <laughs> somehow make it work. I I want to come back to something that both of you sort of gave a nod to a minute ago. And uh, it's another one of the things that I love about the rhythm of this season. And for me, as someone who is keyed into using a lectionary as a pattern for scripture readings in the season. It's not the narratives about Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth as much, but that so often we get these beautiful images from the prophets in this season. And sometimes they're, they're passages that are Christians go, Oh, this is predicting baby Jesus. Like, Oh, you know, the Bethlehem will be where the Messiah comes from that kind of thing. But sometimes they are, new creation kind of passages you know like when we get there's a there's a whole year where we get isaiah's peaceable kingdom imagery about you know the beating of plow of swords into plowshares and wolves lying down with lambs and you know when when isaiah announces that if you would ask isaiah is that a first coming of the messiah or second coming of the messiah he would not that question would not have made sense and he just you know which when god does the thing god's going to do and messiah comes and christians now have to talk about a first coming and a second coming Isaiah would have just said, you know, it's when Messiah comes. And I guess it's, it, it, there's a certain important blurriness that, that tells me that these are part of the reason too, about why it's good news that the baby comes. I think sometimes mm-hmm. the, the sloppy temptation, shallow temptation is to say the good news is that the baby comes as though that's self-explanatory as though like every, Oh yes, the baby has arrived. That's good news where I'm not really sure that that it's clear to the watching world why is it good news that this child was born um and that there needs to be part of like well the prophets have been saying this is the child who makes it possible that there will be wolves that lamb lie down with lambs and we can beat our swords into plowshares and there will be we won't learn war anymore that like that that the beauty of those visions from those prophets who were convinced that somehow god was going to make that happen and had something to do with this future coming savior figure this messiah figure that's that can't be in my mind separate from why this season is good news and why Christmas itself is good news. Um, Cause otherwise we're just left with it's good news that the baby comes. Cause now we can open presents. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I would always rather us move toward the reason that Jesus is good news 
is he makes possible the rest of that new creation that the, the prophets have been dreaming of. But I realize that kind of blurs together first and second coming. Um, and I guess, I guess for me, the other thing that, that is helpful for me is it, it puts a check for me on just using the prophets as they're only there to predict, you know, weird things about Jesus' birth, like the Messiah, you know, the, the, the virgin shall conceive and have, like, sometimes I, I hear preachers use the prophets just as they said such weird outlandish things that they were proof that Jesus is the Messiah, rather than like they, they were envisioning how things become different when God steps into the world, when the Messiah comes. And I think without that, the prophets just become like Nostradamus type predictors. And I'm not really sure that's fair to, to what their role is. I think especially like, for me, the, the point of Advent is to remind ourselves that we are awaiting people. Mm-hmm. You know, just as the the prophets from the Old Testament were waiting for the Messiah to be born. And then, you know, we were waiting and waiting and waiting for that baby to be born. And then the baby was born. And then we had to wait for that baby to grow up. Right. Like, it's not like, oh, the baby's born and everything's OPT keen. Like, oh, no, the baby's still a baby. And oh, by the way, the baby's also now a refugee. Right. Um we're still waiting for that baby to grow up. And then that baby grew up and became a man and did all all the things that we can read about Jesus in the gospels. Um, And then baby was crucified or now man uh, was crucified and killed. And then was like, came, came back after three days and then ascended into heaven. And now we're waiting again. Mm -hmm. Like we are awaiting people. Yeah. And that, to me is what advent is reminding us yeah, is that yeah. we are the waiting people yeah, yeah we might not be good at it but that's what we do i i when you describe it that way it makes me think of um the the story especially of the the end of the the great musical fiddler on the roof um and about so there's you know this little jewish village of anatevka and uh after all the dramatic events that happened in the course of that story and at the end they're all forced to leave and go in different places and they're going to be waiting again somewhere else. And there's this, you know, great line at the end where they, you know, they're, they're asking the rabbis, they're all going different places. You know, some are going to New York, some are going to Europe, some are going to other places in, in Russia or whatever. Um, you know, uh, you know, what, what are, are we still supposed to be waiting for Messiah? And uh, the rabbi says something like, well, we'll just have to wait for him in the next place. That like, it's that mm-hmm. ongoing, the, the world still is in need of being mended. And because it isn't all fixed or it isn't all healed. The work uh, is, isn't done yet. And I think that's, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that Sarah, because sometimes we can treat Advent as a race that ends with Christmas as though like that ties off all the loose ends when really it's just the beginning of something. And that, as you say, even with, even when we get through the cycle of Jesus story, even through death and resurrection, we're still left looking around at a world where man, it sure feels like things are still broken in so many ways and is the Christian message that this is all we're waiting for? You know, like, yep, this is it, everybody. Or is the Christian message, no, we're, we're waiting for all things to be made new. And that means, yep, you know, settle in. This is going to be a long period of active waiting that's not twiddling our thumbs, but, but is still waiting. So a thought that, that came to mind, and this is kind of half-formed, trying to, especially not being a lectionary preacher, um, you know, we talk about the prophets in Advent and, you know, they're that looking forward to the birth of Messiah and everything, 
there's 400 years of silence between the prophets and the New Testament. Um, and I can't help but think that the Jews during those 400 years of silence, what scriptures did they go back to? Mm-hmm. But the prophets, because sure. they were waiting for their Messiah. Like sure. you know, the prophets promised a Messiah and yet God has not spoken to us in a hundred years and 200 years and 400 years. Like, where is this Messiah? And so how important is it then for us as Christians to go back to those same prophets Sure. and kind of get that sense of what it was like for the Jews um, that were waiting for 400 years for us to get, okay, four weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we get we get fussy after four Sundays <laughs> and here they're talking four centuries. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that also helps to uplift, too, that not only do you have a distance of centuries between, say, Malachi and um, chapter one of Matthew's gospel, um, but you've got different strands of what to hope for and what to expect. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes our temptation is to flatten that into there's one right way of talking about the expectation of the Messiah. People had a wrong one and then Jesus came and he gave them the right one. Whereas really you've got, you know, multiple strands of, of what is it that we're hoping for? And rather than picking one and voting out the others, it's worth going yet different voices in the, among the prophets want to highlight different things about who this Messiah is and all of them almost like facets on a, on a gemstone. Like it's not one or the other. You need all of them together to get this full well-rounded picture. So have we convinced everybody that we need Advent in our lives? <laughs> I think we've at least convinced the three of us, which, which is good. Cause you know, I know we were all on the fence, but Hopefully we've at least said why we think it, there's, it's, it's worth having some kind of a season like this. And maybe that leads us to where we should go next time talking about how does Advent play with time and how do we count it? And maybe, maybe if we're really, really lucky, Advent Clause will teach us about a phenomenon called Long Advent if we are really, really lucky <laughs> that uh, perhaps you can tell us more about next time, Sarah. Oh, Okay. Sounds like a plan. Good. Well, uh, you're going to have to wait a week for that conversation, everybody, but buckle up. It's a season of waiting. But join us next time uh, here on Crazy Faith Talk for more conversation here on Advent. See you all. Bye.